Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, Decided Church. Thank you, worship team, for those songs. Fits right in today, I tell you what. Um, Twelve years ago, I found myself in a hotel room, and I had just withdrawn from college. I had been in college for four and a half years studying pastoral studies, pastoral ministries, and I had tasted life in every way imaginable. And I'm here to tell you today, 12 years later, standing on the stage that I do not belong on, that it is only God's goodness and God's grace. It's only only Jesus that satisfies. And there's a lot of distractions in the world today, and I think that Part of my anxiousness over this sermon and this sermon series is that my heart is so heavy for this world and um, my heart's so heavy for the next generation. Looking into my kids' eyes and being able to, to promise them that I'm doing what I can to set it up for you. I'm doing what I can to, to build the foundation so that you can experience that Jesus satisfies more than anything this world has to offer. Today we begin a series entitled Wells, um, and we're going to talk about what fills your soul. And I'll tell you, 12 years ago, um, there wasn't much that I had um, that was filling my soul other than just indulging in self-satisfying pleasure Momentary, fleeting pleasure. And don't get me wrong, it's fun for a while. Sin is um, pleasurable for a while, but it only lasts so long. And then you deal with the consequences, you deal with the shame, you deal with the guilt, you deal with the repercussions. You got to pick yourself back up again. And oftentimes, the only neural pathway your brain has to follow is right back down to where you came from. When we're talking about souls, I bet each one of us have somebody in our lives, there's at least one person that, that you have in your life that can just kind of see right through you. Hopefully it's your spouse, uh, but maybe it's, maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's a family friend. But we all have somebody that w- when we get one-on-one with them, there's, there's no point in hiding things. There's no point in beating around the bush. There's no point skipping details because you know with this best friend, with this mentor, with this wife or husband, you know it's going to come out eventually. So you might as well just lay it all out. And certain people in our lives, God has given that gift to, to, to peer into, into what, lays, what lies beneath the surface and expose us. To, to draw things up, both good and bad. Sometimes there's, 
bad motives and, and secrets that we're not proud of, but sometimes there's, there's desires and, and heart yearnings that we have a hard time expressing, but when we're around that friend, they can really bring it out and, and, and understand our heart like nobody else can. That being, that part of us that lies beneath the surface is our soul. And Judah Smith, he's a pastor in Seattle, Washington. He's written a lot of great books. And I think, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but I think his most recent book, I don't think he's written one since, but he wrote a book a few years ago, a few years ago entitled, How's Your Soul? And he says this about the soul. He describes it this way. Your soul is the seat of your emotional being. It's the eternal part of you. Your soul is the part of you that goes to heaven or hell and is given a new glorified body one day. Your soul is the root system of your behavior. And listen to this. He says, your soul is the bottom half of your joy glacier. And he didn't know that in 2020, Decided Church would gather around this word joy and try to understand it more and try to put into practice the habits of joy and the seeds of joy to reap a benefit and a fruit and a harvest of joy later. But that's exactly where this series on our soul comes in. Our joy is directly affected by what's beneath the surface. If our joy is the fountain, then our soul is the well. And so in each one of these four sermons in August, there are some events and there are some conversations that happen around wells in the Bible that help to expose our souls. Today, we're going to begin with Moses and Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, I encourage you to open to Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. I don't plan on turning anywhere else, but we'll see what happens. But you are safe to flip to Exodus chapter 2 and park it there for our first installment of Wells. At my age, at the age of 34, Moses had the life. Moses, at the age of 34, was being groomed to become the Pharaoh of Egypt, according to the historian Josephus. We also read about that in Acts chapter 7. He's at the peak of his strength. He's at the peak of his popularity and his fame. Everybody knows who Moses is. He was the little baby that Pharaoh's daughter found while bathing. She adopted him into her household. He was nursed through miraculous events by his own mother. And then when he was weaned, he came to live full time in the palaces of Egypt under the direct supervision of Pharaoh. And he would have been mentored. He would have had um, all the same tutors that Pharaoh's sons would have had. And he was being groomed to take over Egypt. But it was at the peak of Moses' strength and his popularity that things began to unravel, exposing Moses for who he really was on the inside, exposing his soul. Exposing what filled his soul. And through a series of unfortunate events, he found himself in the desert, alone, by a well. Catch that. The one person being groomed to take over 
the rule and reign of the most powerful nation, the most powerful kingdom in the whole world, Moses, at the age of 40, found himself alone in the desert by a well. This Midianite well holds no significance to Moses, but it tells you and I a story, one of doubt and one of deliverance. As much as we could learn and apply to our lives pales in comparison to what we learn about God at this well. This well story is about a good and gracious God. Let's read Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 11. I encourage you sometime this week, go back and read the full chapter starting in verse 1. We don't have time for all that today. So I'm going to jump in at verse 11 and read starting in Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, looked on their burdens And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So with that verse, we now know that Moses knows he's not truly an Egyptian. We know that he knows he's an Israelite. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. If you need that spelled out clearly, he murdered the dude. Verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold... Two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, Surely the thing is known. By the way, it was. It was known. It wasn't just a fabricated thought. In Moses' mind, maybe Maybe not, I'm going to be found out. No, he was found out. The thing was known. Leviticus says, be sure your sin will find you out. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of the Midianites. That's a desert, by the way, what we now know as Saudi Arabia. And he sat down by, what's the word? A well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? In other words, usually it takes you ladies quite a bit of time. Y'all get sidetracked. I know you're multitaskers, but you guys are home awfully quick. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, well, where is he then? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. If you ask me, that's going from zero to 60 pretty quick. A stranger comes over for dinner. Next thing you know, he's married to your daughter. That's not happening in my household, I can assure you. Verse 22, she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Let's pray. Jesus, just do your work. I pray that you would lift these words off the page and into our hearts. Uh, God, do as only you can, and may you be glorified. May you be lifted up in this service today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just have two points for you today about this well, what this well represents what it signifies for us. Number one, the well of Midian represents doubt in the life of Moses. Represents doubt. 
Number two, the well of Midian also represents deliverance for Moses. You say, wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute, wait a minute, minute. The same well, the same event, the same life circumstance cannot mean doubt on one hand and also mean deliverance. How can something that Moses so screwed up, how can the events of his life, he murdered a guy and he was about to murder two, but he got called out and so he ran. So all those events as he approaches this well in the desert and he's heavy and he's miserable and he's frustrated, how can this same well that represents doubt for Moses also signify his deliverance? I'm so glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Moses, because he killed this guy, because he was starting to take his plan into his own hands and craft his story, things began to unravel. I'll show you, we don't have time to turn there, all of us together, but Acts chapter 7, if you want a little insight on what's going on in Moses' mind, the Holy Spirit gives us a little more insight through the apostle Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen says that when Moses was exposed and Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son, Moses was instructed, this is Acts chapter 7, verse 22, if you want to write it down for later. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed, catch this, He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Acts makes it clear that we know exactly what Moses was doing. He said, I know I've been raised to be an Egyptian. I know I'm Israelite blood here. And so what better position for me to be in than to be walking into the highest position of the land, when I take that throne, I'm going to deliver my people. And I have no doubt in my mind that Moses had plans to right all the wrongs that the Egyptians had done to his people. That he was going to not only deliver the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt, he was going to place them over and in charge the Egyptians and flip the tables on them. I have no doubt in my mind that Moses had every intention to make the Egyptians slaves in servitude to Israel. That's what Acts 7 says. He killed this Egyptian thinking that all of his Israelite brothers would rally around him and say, here is our savior, here's our deliverer, Moses is going to do it, he's our guy, look at this great plan. How many times do we look to people in authority and people in power and say, man, if only somebody with power and authority, could turn to Jesus and use their platform to speak the gospel. I'm guilty of that. I I don't necessarily think it's wrong to pray for politicians and and pray for um, public figures or musicians, movie stars, what celebrities, what have you to pray for these people who have a lot bigger platform than us to somehow turn to God. But that's, 
that's not how God typically works. He doesn't, he's not really interested in using the professionals. He's, he's far more interested in using the prodigals. So Moses, his professional plan began to unravel. He killed a guy, it got misinterpreted, then he got found out, and now he's got to run because his life is in danger. His life hangs in the balance. And so at this well, at this well, what you have is he doubted his past, he doubted his purpose, he doubted his place. His past was consumed with fear. Will I be found out? Does everyone know my secrets? When will this catch up to me? His purpose was out of focus. How am I supposed to be the Pharaoh out here in the desert? Was that even my calling? Who's going to stand up for my people? Acts account tells us Moses intended to deliver Israel. The only thing staring back at him from that well was his shameful past and his failed purpose. His place was now filled with frustration. Why am I here? What am I doing in the Midianite desert? Why did I have to do that? Why did I have to kill a guy? Who am I now? What's my identity? We find out later in in Exodus chapter 2 that he tends sheep. That's his new occupation. He went from going to become Pharaoh in Egypt to tending sheep in a desert for 40 years. So you can imagine his frustration. You can imagine his doubt, his fear, his shame, his past, all mounting up at this well into a moment of frustration saying, man, I really screwed it up. I'm an idiot, Moses. Why did I have to do this? Look at me now. I have no purpose. I've messed up. I'm just going to tend sheep. And if you realize what he named his firstborn son, it makes it all, all so clear as to his mental mindset. His frame of mind, he names the son Gershom. What does Gershom mean? I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Man, that's really inspirational, Moses. Way to nail it there with your firstborn son with the meaning of that name. I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses is doubtful of his God. He's doubtful of his faith. He's doubtful of his purpose, of his place, of his calling. Has anybody ever been there? Have wrong choices ever caused you to doubt your faith? Maybe they've caused you to ask questions like, is God really working in my life? Is Christianity legit? Can I tell you as a pastor, there are moments in my life that I'm not proud to admit, but I've had questions like that. Is Christianity legit? Is there really some afterlife? Is there really some streets of gold and pearly gates and a mansion that I'm supposed to own one day with the Crystal River? I mean, honestly, if you're really honest with yourself, it seems like a fairy tale. So I'm supposed to chalk it up to this guy in the sky who I have no idea about. I'm just supposed to place all my faith in him and live this life believing that at the end of it, if I've trusted in Jesus on the cross, somehow I'm going to end up in this magical place. 
Be honest with yourself. Have you ever doubted your faith? Maybe you've asked this question, is Jesus really the only way? I mean, come on, there's so many other religions. There's so many other paths to God. What's, what's so wrong? You mean to tell me that all these people who've grown up in this third world country, who've never heard the name of Jesus, you mean to tell me that just because they didn't grow up in America in a church that talked about Jesus, they're all now banished to hell? What's wrong with their faith system? Why isn't that good enough? By the way, I'd love to help you work through some of those questions. We don't have time this morning. Maybe you've asked questions like this. Can God even use me? Did I mess up too badly? Have I gone too far? The well of doubt forced Moses to throw up his hands. That's it. That's all I got. My plan, Jesus. My pl- God, I was partnering with you. I know that you put me in Pharaoh's household so that one day I could take over his throne and deliver my people and make Egyptian bow down to you. Why did you, what was wrong with that plan, God? I had it all set up. It was me and you. What Moses didn't realize is that God can only begin when we end. When we end. So yes, The good news today, if you're listening, if you're out there on the live stream, is that God can take, God absolutely can take that well of doubt, use the exact same well, and turn it into a well of deliverance. And that's really where all the good stuff happens. See what God was saying to Moses at this well of doubt? He was saying, Moses, it had to happen. It had to happen. It had to happen. If you had never been born in Pharaoh's household, not born there, but been raised there, then you would have never seen the dichotomy of what the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites. You would have never had that holy righteous anger. That I do value, Moses. And if you had never murdered a man, then you would have never run. Because sometimes, like we've said in the past, God's got to get the Egypt out of you before he'll deliver you out of Egypt. So yeah, you had to murder. It had to happen that way, Moses. And yes, I have you at a well where you're frustrated with your place, where you doubt your purpose, where you're not even sure of your identity. You don't even know who you are or what's next. Yes, it had to happen that way, Moses. Because now I've given you a family. I've given you a family of Midianites. I've given you a wife. I've given you safety and security. I've given you a new occupation. And listen to me, church, when I say that God is the only good God who can deliver you from your own ruin. Do you realize that Pharaoh never caught up with Moses? Do you realize that, yeah, although he murdered a man, he was never held accountable for those actions? Only a good and gracious God can deliver you from your own ruin. 12 years ago, in that hotel room, I was standing and staring down at a well of doubt, thinking, well, I was trying to partner with you, God. I was doing what I thought you called me to do. I was doing pastoral studies. I knew from the age of seven or eight that I was supposed to be a pastor and a leader of a church. And it seemed at that moment, 12 years ago, 
in that hotel room that everything had unraveled, that there was no point, there was no purpose. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what the next step would be. And God is saying at that well of doubt that we've all had, if you're honest, he's saying, I can take the same well. And when you stare down and see the reflection, I can speak deliverance to you because what happens is when we're at the well of doubt, God meets us with the water of deliverance. When we stand at the well of doubt, God meets us with the water of deliverance. God can use the same event meant to destroy you and use it to deliver you. It was at the well of doubt he met a family. It was at the well of doubt he found shelter and safety. It was at the well of doubt he found the deliverance. What God said to Moses at the well was this, Moses, it's only a season. Moses, I won't leave you here. Moses, it had to happen this way. Countless stories in the Bible underline his promise that it's only when we're weak that he is strong. Remember, God doesn't use professionals. He uses prodigals. And when we come to the end of ourselves at the well of doubt and we throw up our hands and our plan is over, the story that we had written comes up short. The chapters that we had been furiously crafting are all now burned up. There's something that happens at the well of doubt where all you can really do is rest. All you can really do is wait. All you can really do is be poured into because you've used up the resources of yourself. That well is dry. That well of doubt is dried up. You've got to come to a place, Christian, where you understand there's nothing to gain, nothing to lose. So many of us try to offer God our well. So many of us try to offer God what we have to bring to the table. We try to see if God will will, will read our story the way we've got our chapter outlined and he'll just kind of write the last paragraph. Maybe do like an appendix or a foreword. Maybe do one of those cool like paragraphs on the back where you endorse my book. Maybe I can get some names at the beginning to, to have some clout, to have some, some leverage so that other people will look at my life and see, oh yeah, it looks real nice on Instagram, on Facebook, on social media. It looks really good. God's not interested in writing your appendix. He's not interested in giving you a little bibliography source. He's not interested in writing a little addendum to your chapter. He's interested when you come to him with blank pages and you say, listen, there's nothing to gain, nothing to lose here. My well is empty. I've got nothing. What do you have? The beauty of of coming to the well of doubt is that God is big enough to handle those questions. The beauty of coming to the well of doubt and being frustrated with yourself, being frustrated with how you screwed it up, is that when we are out of strength, when we're totally weak, 
when we've come to the end of ourselves, that's, that is, that's the ignition, that's the spark that allows God to start crafting his beautiful story in your life. Moses waited 40 years before God allowed him to fulfill his purpose. Guys, we can't even wait 40 minutes from an, from, for an answer from God. Moses waited 40 years. Can you imagine? Moses tended sheep for 40 years in that desert. Moses struggled with his identity for 40 years. Moses was, the, the Bible phrases it, content. That means he wasn't too thrilled. Moses was content to dwell with them for 40 years, tending sheep. By the way, these 40 years, they weren't really waiting years. They were watering years. They were watering years. I went from that hotel room 12 years ago back home to Irmo, South Carolina, where I thought that summer would never end. The summer of 2008. That was my 40 years in the desert. I had nothing. I had no job. I really had no friends. I had no relationships. I had to find a different church to belong to because my church decided to kick me out. And while I sat at home for what seemed like 40 years, thank God he chose a different timeline for me than Moses. I, I wouldn't have been able to wait 40 years. It was in those moments that I can look back now and tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that that summer was a time that I have never felt closer to God. Those, are, those were the moments and the weeks and the months piled together where God revealed himself to me through scripture in a real way for the first time. That's where my faith became my faith. You know what I'm saying? You know how you grow up as a Christian and you kind of lean on the faith of your parents or just the faith of your religious system or the faith of your pastor, the faith of your youth group, the faith of your youth pastor? Well, at some point, you'll find the bottom of that well, you'll start to doubt. And if you turn to Jesus in that moment, he'll use that same well to be the well of deliverance. You see, there's only one well. There's only one well here, folks. And when you stare down into it, you're either going to look back at doubt or you're either going to look back and see deliverance. The choice is yours. The perspective is yours. It's one well. Doubt or deliverance. What is it going to be for you? And it's okay to have seasons of both. But eventually, your doubt will come to an end when you begin to see what God can do through you. I want to show you the end of the story and we'll be done. How did God take Moses' well of doubt and turn it into a well of deliverance? I'll show you. Verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Oh, now we're beginning to see the plan. Maybe it's not you. God's been waiting on. Do you understand? Do you have enough insight and discernment to realize that God is also working in outside circumstances? And he had to wait till something died over here in order to bring you into your purpose. 
The king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, cried out for help. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel. And what are the last three words? And God knew. What? What did God know? God knew what? God knew that Moses was ready. God knew that these 40 years had come to an end. And now it was time to introduce Moses to himself in a whole new way. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Guys, that's the burning bush that we all know where God met Moses. The bush was on fire but not consumed. And that's where God told Moses, I've called you out. I've prepared you. Now this well of doubt will become a deliverance. And when you let your personal well of doubt become a well of deliverance in your life, it often has enough water and it's deep enough to deliver not only you, but it can deliver thousands and thousands of others. In the case of Moses, it delivered millions of people out of bondage into the promised land. Only God can do that. Only a good and gracious father can do that. When you come to the end of your well of doubt, he'll turn it into the well of deliverance and you drink of that water and it's so good and it's so satisfying that you can't help but offer it to others. And Moses went from a burning bush to the throne room of Pharaoh where he demanded, let my people go. And God rained down plagues They crossed a Red Sea on dry land. They spent 40 more years, guess what, in the same desert that Moses was in right here. See, they weren't just waiting years, they were watering years because Moses would return to those same desert sands and lead his people confidently through them because he'd been there before. He'd actually spent 40 years there before and they would walk into the promised land. Sometimes... God must leave you in the doubtful desert to meet you at the burning bush. Run it back. Run it back in your mind. Why did it have to happen? See, for me, I can only speak for myself, but if I run back my story, this is how it goes. I had to run into all kinds of problems at college. Like the song said, I tasted life in every way. It had to happen that way because I found myself in a hotel room full of doubt, went back to my house, became closer to God than I ever had before. It had to happen that way because then if I had not done that, I would have never started working at Chick-fil-A. And if I had never started working at Chick-fil-A, I would have never, probably never met the individual who brought us to Northside Baptist where I got the call to preach. And if I had never gone to Northside Baptist in that college service, I would have never gotten the call to preach. And I'd never gotten the call to preach. You and I wouldn't be standing here on opposite sides of the screen. It had to happen that way. Run your story back. The chapters in your life that you're most ashamed of, God gets the most glory out of. 
See, for Moses, it went like this. Without the murder, there would have been no escape. Without the escape, there would have been no well. Without the well, there would have been no family. Without the family, there would have been no job. Without the job, there would have been no burning bush. Only God can redeem your doubts and introduce your destiny. The chapters of our life we're most ashamed of, God gets the most glory out of. Folks, it had to happen. It had to happen. What fills your soul this morning, doubt or deliverance? It's the same well. So what's staring back at you? If doubt is staring back at you, your soul is filled with fear. If deliverance is staring back at you, your soul is filled with faith. Take a minute in the quietness of your heart and ask this question. What is the it had to happen moment in my life? What's that one chapter your mind always races back to and says, man, did I really have to screw up there? What would my life be like if I hadn't have done that? What would my life been like if I hadn't have wasted all those years on drugs, sex, alcohol? What would it have been like if I hadn't have even spent time on that relationship? I look back and it's drained three years. What would have happened if I hadn't gone to that school or this school? What would have happened if I didn't make that move? What would have happened if I never got that job? God is infinite enough and big enough and strong enough and gracious enough to take all of your mistakes and your doubts and your failures and take that well of doubt, that empty, dry well, and bring forth waters of deliverance. That's the kind of God that's asking you and telling you it had to happen. It had to. It had to happen. How good is God to us? And that's what I want you to leave with. This is not a story about us. Exodus chapter 2 is not a story about Moses. It's not a story about the children of Israel. It's not a story about the Midianites. It's not even a story about a well. It's a story about God. It's a story about a good and gracious God who can take our moments of ruin when we destroy ourselves and bring purpose and life and destiny and deliverance. That is how good God is. Let's pray. Jesus, we're at a well this morning. And if we're honest with ourselves, it is a well of doubt. A lot of us are in a moment because of isolation, because of quarantine, because we have more time with our own thoughts in our head, where we're looking down in this well saying, man, why did I screw up? Is this, is this even legit? Is Christianity legit? Is Jesus really the only way? Is God really working in my life? Have I just made up this stuff in my head? Maybe you're on the other side of that coin and there are circumstances and life events that you've caused because of your mistakes and you're at a well asking, have I messed up too badly? Am I too far gone? Can God still use me? 
If you're at that well this morning, can I ask you to trust God with those details? Learn to accept the well of doubt because it's the exact same well that God will bring forth waters of deliverance. Same well. I look back now and realize it's the moments of weakness in my life. It's my story of struggling with homosexuality. It's my story of struggling with all kinds of issues that God now uses as the largest platform to speak into others' lives. God wants to take the waters of deliverance that he's quenching your thirst and satisfying your thirst and he wants you to take that and pass it on to somebody else. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you, have you thrown up your hands in surrender to him? Have you come to God with an approach that says, God have got nothing to gain and nothing to lose? I understand now it had to happen. It had to. Do business with God, church. Do business with God in this moment. Let him take you back to the it had to happen chapter of your life. I don't want you to face it. I want you to thank God for it. I want you to allow him to have it and turn it into the very source of your deliverance. Only he can do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just pray something like this. God, I've been running from you a long time. I'm at a dry well. I'm full of doubts. But, all I, but I believe this morning that you're good enough and you're gracious enough. You can take all my failures and my shame and my insecurities and my guilt and my brokenness and my doubts. You can handle that. In fact, you've already handled it. You took it upon yourself. You put it on your son. You had him nailed to a cross. You had him separated from your perfection and your holiness, and he died a sinner's death. He took my place. He was crucified. He bled and died on a cross so that I could come to you. I could come to you in humbleness and repentance, and I could look at you there, and I could say it had to happen. Jesus had to have one of those moments too, you know. You think he wanted to die on a cross? Do you think he wanted to bear your sin and shame? Do you think he wanted to be mocked and ridiculed and a crown of thorns shoved into his head and his beard ripped off his face? Do you think he wanted to be whipped 39 times and then have a royal robe put on his back just to be ripped off? But it had to happen. It had to happen for you. It had to happen so that you could stare into his eyes and accept him as your savior. It had to happen so that you could you could learn what the well of deliverance is all about, that you could taste of the waters that never run dry, that you could be redeemed. Only God can redeem what's meant to destroy you and use it to introduce you to your destiny. God, I am in amazement of your goodness and your grace. I'm in amazement that you can take what I had set up for myself as my own grave and turned it into a garden. The Bible says that you can take what's meant for evil and use it for good. And for that, we are eternally grateful to a good and gracious Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.